Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We've all probably heard the phrase, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. It's a phrase that's often used to encourage optimism and a positive can-do attitude in spite of adversities or difficulties that often do arise as a part of our lives. And in many ways, uh, as we think about our lives personally as well, we somewhat understand that adversities, difficulties, trials are uh, a natural part of life, and we all experience them. I mean, we, we hate them, we'd rather do without them, but we understand that it's a natural part of life. I remember back in college, I shared this story with the teenagers before, but I remember back in college pulling an all-nighter for a biology exam. And I, too, once again, was part of that, that ritual of college students that do not study until the last minute, and then they cram it, cram it, cram it to get the grades that they need. And I remember I studied chapter by chapter, page by page, as I took notes and as I memorized as many terms as I possibly could. And at about 7 o'clock or so, I went home to take a shower so I could go to, uh, go to my shift at work. And I remember my biology class was a night class that started at 6 p.m. And I was supposed to work all through the day till about 4 p.m. And I remember throughout that day, I mean, working, I was super tired. I, I felt like I wanted to sleep, but I was really proud of myself. I mean, I did it. I mean, I, I mean it took about five cups of coffee, an extra, an, an extra uh, espresso shot on top of the coffee for me to do it. But and I, you know, I was, my hand was shaking a little bit as I served, as I was a waiter during that time. But, I mean, I was super proud that I did it. I made it. I mean, I studied. I mean, I remembered everything that I needed to remember, and, and I was on top of it. And I remember at about 3.30, my boss said, you know, you have that big exam. Go early. You know, you're, you're gonna, if you leave at 4, you're going to hit major traffic. Go early. And I thought in my mind, man, you know, heaven is opening up to me. I mean, my boss wants me to leave early. And, you know, I mean, this is perfect. And I remember driving down the highway and no traffic. I was like thinking, you know, in my mind that this is perfect. You know, my, my life is perfect. It cannot get better. And I remember arriving at about 4.30 or so. It took me about an hour. And I remember getting there and thinking in my mind that, you know, I have about an hour and a half. I still have plenty of time. And you know what? I'm going to study. And I said, you know what? You know, I mean, my back's hurting a little bit. I'm going to lean my chair back a little and study. And I remember I leaned back my chair and I was looking at it. I was studying it. I was, I mean, meditating on it. And then I opened my eyes. I don't know when it happened, but I fell asleep. And you know that, that, that feeling of sheer shock and panic in your heart? We all know that feeling, right? And I remember as I moved the folder aside and looked at the clock, it was 7 p.m., an hour into my exam. And I, I remember, I mean, I, I jumped out of that car and, and ran to my class, and the teacher looked at me like, you know, like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? You know, I mean, it's already an hour into the exam. And I remember I had 30 minutes to cram the final exam with every bit of energy that I had. And I remember sitting down that 30 minute and thinking, you know, focus, focus, you study, Josh, you got this. But I, because I just woke up and because of panic and, and because of what just happened, I couldn't remember a single thing. I wasn't even sure if I was in biology or calculus. I, mean, I couldn't remember anything. Disappointments. And in many ways, I mean, this may not be a life-impacting story as I pass biology, as I, my life is still going on right now, so this isn't a life-impacting story, but we understand that life is full of disappointments. However, as we go to our story today, we find a, a story of a person that was more disappointing than anything that we could possibly think. 
If you can imagine a lady frantically running around looking for somebody to help her daughter. I mean, she had heard that he was gifted, that he was special, that he did things that no regular person was supposed to be able to do, but on this particular day, he could not be found. I mean, she couldn't quit for her baby was sick, her baby girl had been diagnosed and showed symptoms of a horrible disease. And all the other doctors told her that it was hopeless, that it wouldn't work, that she had no chance. But she had heard that this doctor was different. She had heard he cured those who had no chances. He heard that, she, that he was somebody that was able to even raise the dead. I mean, raise somebody from the dead. And, and she looked everywhere for him with the thought of her daughter lying in bed, sick, slowly slipping away. She kept pushing forward looking for this person. After what seemed like hours, maybe even days, she heard that he was in the next city. She had finally found him. Her heart leaped with joy as, she, as her mind once again thought about her girl. And as she thought about the doctor, she thought about what he would say. She thought about what he would do, how he would fix her, what he would do in, in order to make her feel better. She thought about her daughter who would once again be able to go to school and be able to play outside with the other kids. And she finally found the doctor. She explained her situation. She described her daughter and how this disease had, had changed her baby girl. The doctor was rather stern as he replied, I'm sorry, but I don't work with your type of people. She was distraught. I mean, what injustice. I mean, what shock. I mean, she had heard that he was somebody that cared and loved for people, but she couldn't quit. With the weaker voice now, she begged, please. But the doctor was still unmoved. And, she said, and he said, I won't touch your type of people. What a disappointment. I wonder how disappointed she must have been. I wonder how hurt she must have been, having come with the excitement of finally finding the answer and yet being rejected by possibly the only one that can make a difference in her daughter's life. You know, this is the story that we find in our text today as we read the Bible. We know that it wasn't the end of the story. We know that Jesus does something... Jesus does cure her. We know that Jesus does encourage her. We know that Jesus does come through at the end. But the woman, I mean, in many ways, we understand that was the initial answer that he gave her. The woman simply would not quit. Because to her, it wasn't about her pride. It wasn't about being politically correct. It wasn't about justice. She would do anything to have her daughter cured. Now, once someone say this, God delights to do impossible things through improbable people, to impart exceeding grace to undeserving recipients. And here was a lady who realized that she was an undeserving recipient. Although her expectations are not quite met, and she was disappointed, and in many ways she was rejected, but she realized that Jesus was not obligated to heal her daughter. But at the end of the story, Jesus compliments her for her faith and heals her daughter. As we think about this story, what made the difference? In many ways, as you think about the initial part of the story, Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I will not touch your people. You know, I'm sent here for my people, not for you. No. But at the end, Jesus says, wow, what great faith. Your daughter will be made whole. What made the difference? In many ways, what changed his mind, if I could say it this way? And can I remind you, in spite of our disappointments and even the lemons that we might experience in our life as well, we find that God's grace is still enough in our lives. See, it was her faith in spite of disappointments. 
her faith that came from understanding that God's grace is what makes the difference. And I love the testimony in second, of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he says, and he, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But I wonder this morning, how is our perception of God's grace working in our lives? In the verse that we just read, Paul had a major problem in his life. Verses prior tell us that he went to the Lord in prayer three different times asking for him to heal or to take away this problem that he was experiencing in his life. But at the end, he comes to the conclusion or he comes to the understanding, as we could say it, that even with the problems, even with this trial or this thorn in the flesh, as we would call it, that God's grace was enough in his life. He truly believed that if this was something that God wanted in his life, that he was okay with it. So this morning as we begin, let me ask you this question. Think about something in your life that you'd rather do without. Not, not your blessings or, or not even the smart, I mean, minor inconveniences that we might have in our life. But think about in your life something that you wonder, you know, I, I really would, you know, without this, my life would be even better. And I'd rather do without this thing. Think about that item. Then let me ask you this morning. If God wanted you to have that in your life, would you be okay with it? Not okay as in we gripe about it all the time, we complain, and then at the end we say, it's God's will. But okay to the point where we understand that, hey, if this is what God wants, then, you know, it's great. It's great. I'm glad it's a part of my life. You see, how do you do with the lemons in your life? Have you learned to embrace God's grace or have they become a stumbling block and a reason for why we can't be faithful? Why we can't be passionate about the things of God? So this morning, let me take a moment to show you God's grace and how it works in the life of a healthy Christian. First of all, as we think about God's grace, we find that God's grace helps us to strive or helps us to if I could say it this way. And when we look into the text, the Bible tells us in verse 21, Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. But a parallel passage explains in Mark 7, 24, as the Bible says, and from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it. And from this passage, we see that Jesus wanted to be alone. In many ways, he had just finished ministering to the people and he needed some time for R&R. I mean, he needed some time to rest, to recover, to be able to minister to people once again. And, and he comes to this city and as the Bible says, he went into the house and, and tried to hide himself there so he could receive the, the rejuvenation or the strength that he would need to continue. But when you look at the following verse, the Bible says this, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. You see, from it, we could tell that she had been searching for Jesus for a while now. She came from the same coast as Jesus did, showing us that in spite of Jesus not telling anyone where he was, that she knew because she was eager for his help. She knew that he would be here. She knew that as long as she could get to him, that she would be able to receive the help that she needed for her daughter. And here was a lady who had a need. And not only did she have a need, but she was convinced that Jesus was the only one that could help her and provide her with this very need that she had to provide. So in spite of getting discouraged that Jesus was hard to find, and in spite of getting discouraged that Jesus was not easily accessible, right away she realized that if she wanted God's grace, she needed to strive and to continue. 
can I remind you this morning that often God's grace is given not only to those who are patient, but also to those who are willing to strive for it. As you think about our lives, when was the last time that you really prayed unto God and you hanged on to it? Where you simply couldn't refuse, but this was so earnest and and dire in your lives that you simply could not quit. Because I believe a lot of times it's very easy for us, as I think about my experience as well, it's very easy for us to pray a while, forget a while, neglect a while, blame God a while. And it often seems as though that, yes, we have faith initially, and we start with faith, and we want God to do something amazing in our lives. But when we fail to see God act right away in the response time that we would like for him to respond, that it's very easy for us to go to option two or, or a different path, as we would call it. And when we think about the great church of the New Testament, we can come to the day of Pentecost and that early church at Jerusalem. He was a church that, was, that had power, that did everything for God. And in Acts 4.33, this is what the Bible says about this church. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. You see, here was a church that did great things for God. Here was a church that continued to strive for God, and as a result, they received great grace to do even more. And I believe, as I think about my life, and I can't speak for you, but for my life personally, one thing, my life personally, I'm going to try not to hit that. But as I think about my life personally, one thing that I often find is this. A lot of times, I mean, simply being strict with how I am, a lot of times I find myself quitting way too easily. I pray a while. When I don't hear back, I say, okay, forget it. It'll forget it. Maybe this isn't it. I find that if I continue for a while, if I, even in communication and, and trying to communicate with somebody, you know, I, I have the personality where you try a little bit and when it doesn't work, we just quit, right? And with dealing with people or even changing things in our lives, or even when it comes to things in the church where we're serving God, and if it simply doesn't work, we're very easy to quit and, and decide on another path. But I love the testimony of Paul, even in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, the grace of God, which was with me. You see, the Apostle Paul understood that in spite of doing all that he could for God, and even in light of having all the abilities and and the knowledge that he possessed, it was by God's grace that he had those things. He realized that even his ability to strive was a result of God's grace. The ability to continue, the ability to remain faithful to God, was because of his grace in my life. Upon our lives as well, God's grace is given when we look for it. Even in the midst of all the disappointments life can bring, even in the midst of all the discouragements that we often may experience through society or even expectations that come to us, I'd like to inform you this morning that God's grace is still available to those who patiently wait and are striving for it. The woman sought after Jesus Christ and his grace until she found And I wonder this morning how many times we've quit on God and what he can do, although he's the only one that can truly do something about it. 
I wonder how many times we keep a, a problem to ourselves or just let a discouragement eat us away simply because God's grace may not be instantaneous. Folks, can I remind you this morning that in spite of our uh, fast-paced society that we live in, God doesn't work that way. You know, sometimes our prayers won't get answered for years. Sometimes our prayers require fasting. Sometimes even the earnest desire within our hearts, the answer is no. You know, one thing that I found was, you know, as a parent, you know, and I, and I really started understanding what my dad meant when he said, you know, some things you'll never understand, you know, if you're not a parent. And I would always say, you know, and, uh, you know, I know there are parents in here and not parents in here, and uh, not parents is a weird word, but anyhow. But, you know, I mean, as you think about it, you know, I, I always thought in my mind, but I work with kids. I've done so many BBSs. I know how it is. But one thing that I realized as a parent is there are some things that your kid might really want, and you really want to give it to them. But you can't. You know, you just know it's not going to help them. You know it's going to ruin them. And you really want to give it to them, but the answer is still no. And you feel like, man, you know, like for me, I always say to Moses, man, I really want to give this to you, but I can't. This isn't going to help you. This is going to make it worse. This isn't going to be any benefit to you at all. And sometimes I wonder if, That's how it is in our relationship with God. We don't understand. We want it. We don't quite get it. So we we, we want God to answer our prayers right away. But God is looking forward at everything in our lives. And he simply says, hey, you can't have this. You know, this is something that's not going to help you. Folks, can I remind you that in spite of our, you know, in, in spite of our desires, God knows what is best. And at times we develop a concept of God in our minds and, and when it doesn't turn out that way, we, get, we can get frustrated and complacent about the things of God. But I'd like to remind you this morning that God's grace is abundant, it's sufficient, it knows, he knows what he's doing, he knows what we need and, and what we don't need. He knows what, what truly it would benefit us in the long run. It was Edward Hale, a preacher in the 18th century who said this, I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything but I can do something. The something I ought to do, I can do. And and by the grace of God, I will. And I believe as we continue, I believe as we strive forward, trusting in God, his grace will be enough. But not only his grace gives us, helps us to strive, but secondly, we find God's grace helps us to be humble. God's grace helps us to be humble. You know, when we read through the passage, Jesus comes off being a bit harsh. If you look at verse 24, the Bible says this, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now she's begging for his help, but his response to her help is this, but he answered and said, it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. As we think about it, as we humanly think about his response, we look at the situation and think in our minds that, wow, Jesus said this. I mean, he's supposed to be the example of love. I mean, he's supposed to, I mean, he he loves and he cares and he he gives us hope and he's supposed to look after us and his response to the woman is rather a one that compares her to a dog. But friends, before we dive into this, to them it was the truth. 
Jesus is often called the king of the Jews. It's recorded in the Bible that Jesus came for his people, which were the Israelites, the Jewish people during that time. And so technically, here was a lady from Canaan, which meant that she was not qualified for his time. Friends, could I remind you what grace is? I think I have a slide up here, but grace is this. Grace is God giving something freely to somebody that doesn't deserve it. Grace is God giving to somebody freely that does not deserve it. And here is a lady who realized that in spite of being insulted, that this was not something that she deserved. This was not something that she could just demand. She knew that she had no right to receive anything from Jesus being a Canaanite. And her response is rather amazing as she says, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And folks, could I remind you this morning that we who are born in sin don't deserve anything from God except hell this morning. Oftentimes we could live our lives as though that God ought to give us everything. That he owes it to us to bless our lives. But when we look at the scriptures, we find that we deserve nothing as sinners but hell. That what's guaranteed us is not heaven. As a natural man born in our sinful state, that what's guaranteed to us is not a life of blessing, is not a, a life of guidance from God, is not a, a life that, that, that simply demands. And we find the lady who realized this. So she remained humble even in spite of the insult, because she realized who she really was. A great, the great Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest Christians to ever live, says in Ephesians 3, 8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, here was the Apostle Paul who realized, even in light of all that he accomplished for God, he didn't deserve anything that he received. Even though he could have been proud in some ways of of the different ways that he had preached and encouraged and built up different Christian leaders and missionaries and pastors in that region, he understood that all of it was by the grace of God. He didn't have the attitude that simply said, God, I'm serving you, so I deserve some credit. No, he, he simply just said, God, I'm so thankful I get to serve you. God, I'm, I'm so privileged that I get to be involved in your work. So folks, this lady received God's grace in her life because even in spite of the insult she received, she remained humble. Jonathan Edwards, the uh, famous preacher of the past that played a critical role in the shaping of the, great first, uh, uh, the first Great Awakening. That's how many revivals rise up in the 18th century in, in the United States. He was also one of the early presidents of Princeton University, in many ways very accomplished, but is very famous for one of the best sermons that he ever preached called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And in this message, he, he, while speaking about the Christian life, he once said this, the best protection one can have from the devil and his schemes is a humble heart. Is a humble heart. And here was a lady who realized that if she wanted God's grace to reign, to work, to guide in her life, she needed to remain After receiving God's grace for a while, it's easy for us to start thinking about it as a right instead, instead of thinking of it as grace. And I believe the right question is never why do bad things happen to good people? 
as our society often asks. But I believe the right question is this. Why do such good things happen to bad people like me? And oftentimes the question is misled. You see, God owes us nothing. Yet out of his love, he's saved us, he's guiding us, and he, he loves us. And folks, we don't deserve it. And unless we realize this truth, like this lady will constantly live a life of complaints and, and in many ways unsatisfaction, wanting something that we don't have, yet finding no resolution. As you know, I have a son uh, named Moses. He's two and a half. He's getting quite demanding. In many ways, it's funny how, uh, you know, in the morning, every morning he demands milk. But he only demands milk from me. It doesn't matter where I am sleeping. I could be on the couch. I could be in a different room. I could even be in the bathroom. He'll knock and say, I've got milk. I don't know why he does that in the morning. He, like, like does that, like, sleepy voice in the morning. But I remember, uh, you know, Moses is at a point where he doesn't quite understand ownership. Actually, he understands ownership and that... What is his is his. But he doesn't quite understand the fact that what is other people's is not his, right? He's kind of struggling with that right now. He, he understands what's his, but he also thinks what's yours is his, right? So he's at that point right now. So the other day, my wife took him to a play gym where there are a lot of toys and kids could share and play together. I mean, it's a wonderful place, right? Kids could run around and share toys. And, you know, when, we, when, they, when they got there, there weren't a lot of kids, so he started to play with one of the toys that he really liked. And he played for a while, and he decided that he was going to, you know, play with something else. And my wife tells it that he went somewhere else, and another kid and, you know, came and started playing with that toy. And the very moment that that kid's hand touched that toy, Moses ran back. Stared at him and says, this is mine. Mine. He didn't say, this is mine. You can't talk that well. He says, mine. And my wife tried to explain to him that, no, Moses, that, you know, here we all share you know, we all love each other. We share. So once you leave it, it's not yours. Not mine. No. But he said, no. Mine. My hand touched it first. So this is mine. Right? He thinks this is some kind of settlement, right? Going in there, touching everything, and, you know, demanding his territory. So he eventually had to, she eventually had to convince him to play with something else, but he was passionate about getting his back. You know, what humility often does in our lives is that it gives us a different perspective on life. It helps us to understand that God is greater. It helps us to understand that, you know, everything, you know, what we think in our minds is not everything. You know, sometimes we could get into that trap, can't we? Because I think it's true, it's true. Right? I do that sometimes too. You know, you know, and, you know as, you, as you know, I'm a youth pastor, and teens say that all the time. Brother Josh, I know it's true. I saw it on Facebook. Facebook doesn't lie. There was even a real link on the bottom, Brother Josh. Right? But one thing that we find out in life is that just because you think it's true, it's not true. Just because we were taught a certain way doesn't mean that that's the ultimate truth. Because ultimate truth only comes from the perfect almighty God who makes no errors who is perfect, who knows all things, who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He changes not, as the Bible says. And 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 I love that verse where he says that God is Alpha and the Omega. He created, and he'll be the end of all things as well. And and he's the only one that that settles what is right and wrong and, and what changes and what changes not. 
And once we realize that we worship that God, I believe it will help us to take a step back into the place of humility where we realize that, hey, just because we think something's right, it may not be right. Folks, let God's grace help us to remain humble. By understanding that his grace is enough to help us embrace the difficulties that we may face in life. And, and whatever you're experiencing at this time, it may seem like the end of the world. It may seem like you need to quit church and then quit God and quit everything in your life to, to fix this issue. Could I remind you that our Heavenly Father, who reminded us that he will not tempt us above that he are able. He knew what he was doing when he gave those very words and wrote it through, the, uh, through a human author in this holy Bible that I hold in my my hands. God knows what he's doing. The grace of God allows us to be humble to understand that what's going on in our minds might not be everything. So not only do we need God's grace to strive, but we also desperately need his grace to keep us humble. But I believe lastly this morning, God's grace helps us to have faith. God's grace helps us to have faith. Sadly, there aren't many times in the Bible when Jesus compliments someone for having faith. But as we look at this lady, you know, I mean, you know, Jesus compliments her for having faith, which probably meant that it made a lasting impression on the Lord. And what was it about her that Jesus decided to extend his grace to change his mind? And I believe it was the result of her faith in spite of disappointment. Her faith that came as a result of her understanding or through a thing or two about God's grace. If you look at verse 28 of our text, the Bible says this, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. You see, she was finally able to receive what she came for because she had faith to believe that God was somebody that could make a difference. In verse 27, the Bible says this, And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You know, have you ever been in an argument with somebody that simply will not lose? And not lose meaning not because they're right, but they just have so many opinions about it that it's just going in circles, realize, wow, this person's opinion is not going to change. You know, we're going in a circular motion. This is not going to change in any way, right? See, as we think about it, this lady was consumed by the thought that it was only Jesus that could help her. That it was his grace that could impact and change her life. No matter what Jesus says, she was not going to be deterred. She was not going to be turned away. She was not going to quit because in her heart, she truly believed that he was the only one, not the best one, not one of the options, not one of the best options, not one of the best doctors, but he was the only option that she had to see her baby whole. Once again, and folks, I wonder this morning when you go to the Lord and in, in spite of your disappointments, in spite of the trials that we might experience in life, if I could say it this way, in spite of the lemons that, that we see in our life, I wonder if we go with that kind of expectation. He is the only one that could help me. He is the only one that could truly change and, and, and that could truly guide me through this difficult time in my life. And as Jesus saw her faith, he was moved with compassion and healed her daughter. She had God's grace to help her to have faith, to believe that Jesus was the only answer. 
So folks, I wonder this morning, what's your perception of Jesus Christ? Do you see him as one of the options? And I was talking to somebody before, and, and they kind of briefly mentioned that, not, not in this church, but somewhere before, and they said, you know, uh, you know before their husband passed away, that, uh, that you know, that, you know, that uh, he prayed a, a prayer of salvation, just in case. That he was a Catholic all his life, but right before he died, he prayed that prayer of faith, just in case. But folks, I mean, we understand that just in case and faith do not go hand in hand. They don't go together. Because if you did it just in case, it means that you're not completely sold. That you do not believe that that's what's going to happen. That, that, that it might happen, but it might also not happen, which probably means that we do not believe that it's going to happen. And I believe often, or, or we can easily fall into the trap of thinking in our lives that, hey, God could provide for me, but just in case. I mean, God could heal my, my, my family member. I mean, he could save them, but just in case. He doesn't, right? We like insurance, right? If we could afford it, right? We like insurance if we could afford it. I mean, I mean it's, it's safe. And a lot of times, we fall into the trap of, of simply thinking in our minds that just in case is still faith. See, God's grace is extended to those who believe, who simply trust in God. God's grace is greater than anything that this world has to offer. Actually, if you know her, but the hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, has written over 6,000 gospel songs. However, when she was six years old, a slight cold caused a swelling in her eye, and the family physician was called, but he wasn't home. So someone else came to his place, and the stranger recommended the use of, uh, of hot poultices in her eyes, which resulted in the loss of her sight. And although blinded at the age of six weeks, she never became bitter. And one time, a preacher remarked, I think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered you with so many gifts. She replied, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I should be born blind? The pastor was surprised, somewhat shocked, as he asked why. To which she replied, because when I get to heaven, the first face I will see will be the one who died for me. At age of 30, uh, 95, Fanny Crosby passed into the glory and saw the face of Jesus Christ for the first time. Although she lacked some physical ability, she didn't let those be an excuse to why she couldn't live a life of faith. You know, it's one thing to say something, but I wonder how many of us truly believe it. I wonder if we truly believe that there is no replacement for having faith in God. Truly believing that no matter in what situation or dire circumstances we might live under. That God truly is in control. You know, I like this verse in Titus 3, 7. The Bible says this, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we find that we're justified by his grace, by what he desires in our lives. A story is told about, I'll end with the story. A, sto- a story is told about LaGuardia who, <clears throat> when he was, mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and all of World War II, was called by adoring New Yorkers the Little Flower. 
because he was only five foot four and always wore a carnation on his uh, lapel. And he was a colorful character who used to ride the New York City fire trucks, raid, I mean, speakeasies with the police department and take entire orphanages to baseball games. And, uh, you know, whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he would go on the radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids and Sunday cartoons to the kids. And, and one bitterly cold night in January 1935, the mayor turned up a night court that served the poorest part of the city. The guardia would dismiss the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, a, a, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She, she told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband uh, had deserted her, that her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper, who, who, had, who the bread had been stolen from, uh, uh, refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor, the man told the mayor. She got to be punished to teach other people around here a lesson, LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions, $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill and tossed it into his famous sombrero, saying, here is the $10 fine which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. So to the bewilderment of the old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, LaGuardia had made his case. See, God's grace is given freely to those who do not deserve it. And the greatest account of this can be found in the scriptures where God himself came to this earth and lowered himself to be a man so that he could die and to pay the penalty of our sin. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And although life at times can be filled with a set of disappointments and discouragements, when we start to see God's grace with the right perspective, through faith, it makes a big difference. Martin Luther, one of the leaders of the Reformation era, once said this, Faith is a living and unshakable confidence, a belief in the grace of God so assured that a man would die a thousand deaths for its sake. I wonder as you live your life today, as you you experience God's grace today, do we live with that kind of assurance that God knows what he's doing? that he's there to provide for every need that we have in our lives, that his grace is greater than any trial, any lemon, any any problem, any difficulty, any adversity that we might experience in life. Or I wonder, do we live our lives simply going day to day, thinking that, you know, maybe God will provide. But if not, I have a backup. Greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And this Jesus Christ, I believe, desires to help us, guide us, and provide for us as we go through our difficulties, 
as well as as we go through life. Let him be the pilot that navigates your life.